listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. All right, Jeff. So we are going to start this episode off a little differently than we usually do. We are going to start by taking a step back. So last time I said we were going to do this series on intellectual capital and I wanted to kind of dive into your intellectual capital framework. But then when we started prepping for that series, I realized we needed to take a step back above that before we went there. And so we are going to start with a really kind of ethereal question because it it really came out of our dialogue about this. And that question is, what is the purpose of professional services marketing? That's our topic for today. Go. (laughs) Oh, gosh. What is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? If one equates the meaning of life with the meaning of marketing, call me, you have issues. (laughs) Very valid point. (laughs) Oh, My 18-year-old daughter, who has made the decision to attend my alma mater and study marketing. Can you believe that? So real quick, your daughter has issues. Have you ever given me a call? (laughs) (laughs) Teasing, go. (laughs) Oh my gosh. She's going to be so good. As a matter of fact, I think we should have her on to talk about, not me, not talk about me. That's probably where your mind went, but to talk about marketing and why she's getting into marketing now, because I think it would be really insightful hearing from somebody in her generation. I just think that'd be a fascinating conversation to have. But we have these conversations around marketing more and more. So she'll be fourth generation kind of marketing person. So it's it's fascinating. Fascinating. So the purpose of professional services marketing, I would say it's the purpose of any marketing of, you know, ideas or expertise. So I wouldn't limit this to professional services. But the purpose of marketing for me and those who listen to this podcast will know this is to build the firm and its brand's relevance and to do so as quickly and as cost effectively, both in the short term and the long term. And we've had podcasts about what brand relevance is versus brand awareness, but essentially it's the permission to play. And marketing's job is to enable the line to play in the markets that are going to offer it, you know, the most opportunity for growth, both in the short term and more importantly, in the long term, because that relevance is evolving daily, quarterly, yearly. But yeah, I think it's to build brand relevance. So, and the reason I wanted to start here was because when we were setting this this sequence up, what you said to me, you were saying, well, Jason, most firms go about marketing from a big B brand standpoint, and it's about building awareness. But ultimately, when you're talking about relevance, that's where intellectual capital does come in. So I want to step, step back again and just talk about awareness. Like, So we've talked about this before, but I think it's important we talk about it again. What is the difference between trying to build awareness versus building relevance? What is the difference for the marketer? I think there's several differences and in how you get to awareness versus how you get to relevance in terms of investment of time and resources are very different. They're not mutually exclusive, but they are very different. Awareness to me is getting a name out there. Right. And, and, and it's easy to get a name out there. More money will allow you to get 
the name out there. Yes, I've heard of Accenture. I've heard of, you know, Bain or BCG. That's fairly easy. But building relevance is very, very hard and takes a very different approach. And particularly for firms that don't have Accenture-like resources. And if you were to take, for example, and these, I don't want to pass judgment on any firm in terms of their approaches to this, because they know what they need to do for where they're trying to get to. But when you see, you know, some firm's name on a hat of some golfer during a golf tournament, right? You may or may not know what that firm does, but you'd be aware of it. Oh yeah. Isn't that the brand that sponsors such and such player, that's good, but it's not moving the ball in the way that firms need to move the ball. It may be the first step, but with firms that don't have the resources, it's never going to be a first step to kind of, of do that. Most firms have to play small ball, right? They need singles and bunts and stealing bases in order to generate runs because they're not hitting home runs like that. They don't have home run hitter type of resources. So they have to manufacture runs. And every time they communicate with the market, it needs to be building brand relevance. And brand relevance in its simplest terms, like I said, is the permission to play with a certain buyer around a certain issue that that buyer is is having. Does that make sense or did I just ramble? It makes sense when you put this in the minds of the client, and I'm trying to kind of do it in classical marketing terms for a second. It's almost like that central brand question that's asked in consumer type brand studies. You know, when you think of this type of service, who's top of mind? And that's sort of like a, a, a you know a, a research question you would add to measure awareness. A total random comment, real quick. Years ago, I did some work with. Ashland, the chemical company. At the time, Ashland owned the Valvoline brand, so the pretty well-known oil brand, Valvoline. And they were trying to launch these products into the collision category, so collision repair centers. And they did a brand awareness study to understand the awareness of Ashland and understand the awareness of Valvoline, some of the brand assets they had in that category. And what was kind of funny was there was like 20-some percent of buyers that believed that Valvoline had products for use and for sale in that category, even though they didn't. And so that's a sort of an example mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. awareness, I think, right? There's there's awareness. The awareness of Valvoline is so high that the assumption was that they would logically have a product for me. And I think what you're saying, though, is that's a very broad umbrella marketing approach, You know, building out awareness at such a high level that the assumption is that there probably is a service there. Whereas relevance is about Someone saying, well, it's not just about awareness, it's about asked a similar question, which would be, what firms are top of mind in the area of strategy execution? Or what firms are top of mind in the area of operational due diligence? Or, you know, some very specific issue that clients are always thinking about. What are the top firms? And so it speaks more to a little more cognitive thought process around, well, who is the best in this space? Who's got expertise here? Who's got the best expertise? Who's got the deepest expertise? And I'm kind of drawing out. I mean, that's relevance, right? That's that's sort of the difference. Great point. So I'll add another <laughs> another word here. 
and and I do think it's a continuum because it's it's not either or it's and and there is definitely a progression but depending on the situation and the resources and the culture of the firm and the strategic objectives how you go about this is different and that's that's what really differentiates I think strategic marketing from just conventional marketing where you do what everybody else has done. And I'll explain why this is so important in just a second. But first, brand awareness, really important. Have I heard of you? Right? That's brand awareness. Brand relevance is, do you have permission to play in the space you want to play? And relevance assumes some familiarity with a capability you know, and using your Valvoline example, right? I know Valvoline does petroleum products. It would make sense that they would have a petroleum-based product that would do these types of things, particularly maybe in an automotive space or marine space, but some kind of engine-based space, right? Because they have permission to play and I'm familiar with that. I think what you're describing and what is even more important is just because you are relevant doesn't mean that people prefer your brand, right? So you want to go from awareness to relevance to preference, where I prefer Valvoline over a Pennzoil or a Quaker State because they have these attributes or, or do these things. And we did a podcast on this, I think. I definitely have a, a blog post on it. There are three drivers of brand preference, and they are expertise. You know, you're smarter than me and everybody else. I'm willing to pay you a premium for that expertise because I don't have it. Results, you have demonstrated your ability to apply that expertise to produce the result I'm looking for and do it on time and on budget and in the way that you said you were going to. And then the third, and I've kind of switched up my thinking a little around this word. I used to call it relationship, but I I think a word that describes it much better is simpatico. That being in sync with me as a buyer, that you understand my business, that you share my worldview, that you see IT as strategic or tactical or that you see the economy in this way or that way, or we share the same value system. And then on top of that, you're just easy to do business with. You know, your systems and our systems sync up. How you do business and I do business sync up. You know, you don't nickel and dime me. You're the type of person I'd love to stick around and drink a beer with. You're in sync with them. And those three things are really important. And marketing can really emphasize the expertise and the results because those two are intertwined and have a huge impact. And I'm going to explain why in just a second. The simpatico is so important and it's really the key differentiator and the best firms with the best brands get this. Simpatico is really a reflection of how you show up in a room when an Anderson person or an IBM person or a McKinsey person shows up in a room, you know that they are from that firm. You can't put your finger on it, 
But you're just like, he's a such and such person. To me, that's the manifestation of simpatico, the secret sauce of a firm's culture and its expectations and its recruiting. And most firms don't have that, but the firms that have it and know it and know how to manage it are really, really unique firms. But when we're talking about the marketing, you know, for the the purposes of intellectual capital, it's the expertise and results that are really important. So it's interesting because I, I kind of had a, a brief moment where it, it, it all clicked for me. So it's awareness is I'm aware of that firm. I've heard of them. Mm -hmm. Relevance is that firm has expertise in this area in which I have issues to solve for. They're in the consideration set, if you will, if if that Mm -hmm. issue is is something I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. And then preference is, well, they're the firm that I would most logically go to, to solve that type of problem. They are the firm that I would trust the most to solve that type of problem. Or maybe I've worked with them and I trust them the most to solve that type of problem because of that experience. Is that sort of the latter? Yeah. Yeah. In my mind, I think you summed that up really well for an Ohio State guy. Well, you know, we are champions. Anyway, so (laughs) the... Intellectual capital. Let's you know jump into intellectual capital here. Intellectual capital slides into where it basically is the fulcrum. It is the lever for establishing relevance and turning relevance into preference. Right. It is important, I think, in building awareness and relevance. It's very important for preference to when you start getting intellectual capital down into client service delivery and how it manifests, you know, at that point of actually producing that result. So I'll say, yeah, all all three, all three, it permeates it. I mean, I see is the lifeblood of a professional services firm. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. All right, so let's talk about what is it? When we say intellectual capital, what are we even talking about? What do we mean by that? So to me, intellectual capital is nothing more than a commercialization of ideas. Professional services firms, software firms are filled with big idea thinkers attacking any number of, of problems. And well, academicians can generate ideas, but they don't necessarily commercialize them. What professional services firms do better than anyone is to commercialize those ideas. And we'll talk about, I think, in more detail, what exactly is intellectual capital when we talk about the strategy? Because to me, there's, there's components of demand creation to ideas, and there are elements of supply creation to intellectual capital. Let's just table that for now, and we can talk about that in maybe the next episode. Yeah. I have one last thing I want to talk about before we wrap for the day, and this episode is you know sets the table for the next one. And that is, you had a really, really interesting discussion with me setting up this about the inherent tension inside of a firm and the tension between sort of the the core capabilities of the firm and the things at the peripheries, the adjacencies and the new opportunities in the firm and the relationship of that with intellectual capital. So I want you to actually just kind of talk about that for a few minutes 
because that will sort of lay the groundwork for why having a strategy for intellectual capital is critical. So talk to me about that. I tell you, it is one of the most important thing for leaders, well, everyone in a professional services firm to understand because it is a natural and positive tension that exists, but it is seldom managed well. And it is this tension. And a mutual colleague of ours, I think, has done some really good thinking on this, David Coleman. He worked with us on on a project you and I collaborated on. But he uses the term, I like the term, it's not the only term, this concept of performance envelope. And the performance envelope is the revenue engine, if you will, of the firm. And because a professional services firm is nothing but people commercializing ideas and and work, the firm will almost organically develop to feed that revenue engine. And that revenue engine is that core service. And you generally know (laughs) that revenue engine very clearly because you're immersed in it every day. But more importantly, it is the most profitable business. It is the most scalable business. It is the established business. And it is the business that the whole firm is set up to feed. So the recruiting and the training and development is all built to feed that revenue engine as efficiently as possible. And generally, that revenue engine and the service provided is very well established. And it's so well established. And you can tell that it's a core business because the market fully understands it. And it's why you get RFPs, right? People know what it is. They know how to buy it. They know what the requirements and attributes of it are. So even the marketing system is is set up to support the core engine. But the problem with the core engine, like any business, there's always these external pressures as it matures, right? You're going to get more competition coming in, just basic supply and demand. That's going to pressure prices downward. Because it's so codified, you can begin to start to replace that work with technology, software. You know, we're starting to see that with AI coming into a lot of these solutions. And the growth begins to slow. That's the natural life cycle of a core engine in a professional services firm. But what happens is in these firms, as you're dealing with customers or clients, you start to move outside of that core revenue engine and you start to break down those systems that are designed to help it run efficiently. You start breaking processes and you start hiring people or training them in different areas that are outside the scope of the the core engine as you try to help clients. And maybe they're, they're new types of clients or they're different buyers in those clients. But when you start to move to those adjacencies, I call them peripheries, you start to, to recognize a totally different set of attributes, right? These things are undefined. They aren't as profitable because you're kind of making it up on the flow and you have trial and error. They're really unstructured and they're really not scalable because you're needing lots of thinking to, to come in. 
And you're not focused on some solution as much as you are understanding an issue and just trying to solve it, not codify the solution. So you're moving in this in this category. And to me, that's where the marketing and the growth of the firm is going to come from. But you don't know exactly which ones of these issues you're going to solve. So intellectual capital plays at this periphery. It's sorting through these issues. It's identifying them. It's communicating them to the market because most people that are suffering from these issues don't even know what to call it or what the cause is. And intellectual capital coming out of professional services firms help buyers sort through and define those problems at the periphery. And if it's done right, those peripheries then become the new core engine, if you will, for the firm. So that firms are constantly evolving these kind of steps along this life cycle so that the firm's capabilities are stepping up, but that marketing is building its relevance and permission to play in these new markets as it stepped up while, while, and man, I'm on a tangent here. I'm sorry. <laughs> while maintaining that overarching simpatico, how you show up that transcends, you know, the evolving areas of relevance and the issues that you, you solve. And that to me is the art and purpose of professional services marketing is, is, is guiding and equipping the firm to build relevance as cost effectively and as quickly as you can in the short term and the long term. So you brought us full circle. And at the end of the day, that's why intellectual capital matters, right? It comes down to, it is, I'm using the word lever again and again, but it's the lever that you use to drive relevance and it's the lever that you use to drive growth. I think that's the other thing that's really interesting in what you've been talking about is this idea that there's always this tension between where should thought leadership resources go? Should it go to, I'll use simple terms, the cash cow or the growth star, right? Where do you put the resources? And there's always a, an argument inside the firm about that. But at the end of the day, I think you've been pretty clear in this episode that really intellectual capital operates at the periphery, which means that it's it really exists to catalyze growth in the areas of future opportunity and make the firm relevant there. So I'm going to wrap us right here. My goal with today's episode, of course, was to just get at why intellectual capital matters, what it is, and how it fits into sort of the brand-based marketing model of a firm. And then next episode, we're going to go into some of your strategy models around intellectual capital strategy development. What does an intellectual capital strategy look like? And how does it differ from other elements of strategy, marketing, brand, whatever? So that's what's on tap. Well, I hope I didn't bore everyone. I got a man, I didn't realize how excited I, I can get about this subject. But I mean, this really is the core of professional services, growth, sales, marketing, client service delivery. So yeah, I kind of get fired up. <laughs> on it. So sorry, audience. Sorry, Jason. I'll have to tighten that up. But yeah, this is fun stuff. And I hope people will come back. And this is where it is happening. And it's what separates the top firms from all the others. Well, I'm looking forward to digging into that. So good call, good chat. And we will dive into IC strategy next week. So looking forward to that. All right. Thanks, buddy. All right. See you.
Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Bow, bow, bow.